Coming up, how aggressive are you willing to be when making a left turn when there's no traffic light? How close are you willing to get to a cyclist? Driverless cars at the moral crossroads. We don't think of those as moral questions, but those are questions that have moral consequences. Should driverless cars be programmed to treat all human lives the same? Or should they be programmed to protect their passengers above all else? I've heard several very smart people say, just let the cars figure it out. You can probably make a lot of the problem go away with technology, but I don't think you can ever make it go away completely. Our guest is Harvard psychologist Joshua Green, author of Our Driverless Dilemma, When Should Your Car Be Willing to Kill You? I think the biggest ethical question is actually how soon do we adopt? Driverless cars at the moral crossroads, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Hello, I'm John Perry. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Deborah Satz. Earlier this month, we unexpectedly lost Philosophy Talk's co-creator, chief cheerleader, and guiding light, Ken Taylor. On December 29th, tune in for a very special episode as we remember our friend and fellow philosopher. We'll talk about Ken's life and work, and we'll hear from some of the many people whose lives he touched. A salute to Ken on Philosophy Talk, Sunday, December 29th at 11 on KALW 91.7. Will driverless cars someday make human drivers obsolete? Would you be willing to trust your safety to an algorithm? What if you knew that that algorithm just might decide to sacrifice your life to save the lives of others? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Uh, Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm Laura McGuire, sitting in for John Perry, who's taking a well-deserved break. We're coming to you from Coverly Auditorium on the Stanford campus. Our thinking originates a stone's throw away at Philosopher's Corner. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I'm director of research for Philosophy Talk. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. So today, we're thinking about driverless cars at the moral crossroads. Can humans text and drive? They drink and drive? They drive while they're half asleep? Give me a computer any day of the week over a human driver. Oh, come on, Laura. I I know you. I know something about your driving habits. You like to drive stick shifts, right? Cool chicks drive sticks. Well, yeah. So why do you like to drive stick shifts? Uh, Because I like to be in control of the vehicle. Of course. So why give that up and put a computer in charge. Come on. Well, see, Ken, I'm a very good driver, but other drivers really suck. Did you know that a whopping 94% of all accidents are caused by human error? Well, I know that's true, but it's mostly just a few bad apples. Just 15% of drivers cause 85% of all the accidents. So just, just get the bad apples off the road. Yeah, but if you take the average driver, The average driver causes three or four accidents, and they have 11 near misses for every accident in the course of their driving lifetime. Okay, okay, I I can't deny that people suck at driving, okay? (laughs) But, 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 Laura, come on. At least people care. 
computers don't care. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about any of those people. They don't care. Well, they won't care unless we program them to care, Ken. Oh, yeah, program them to care. You mean like with actual emotion? Come on, would mechanical road rage be any better than the humankind? Ken, don't be ridiculous. We're not going to program driverless cars to have emotions. All we need to do is to program them to drive as if human lives matter to them. Oh, which lives? The lives of their passengers? The lives of passengers in other driverless cars? The lives of pedestrians? Which lives? They should all matter equally. Oh, come on, so you're saying all lives matter? <laughs> That is not how I put it. Uh, look, look, look. I don't know about you, but when I'm behind the wheel, my instinct for self-preservation kicks in. It kicks in big time. And, and when somebody I care about, like my son or my wife or even you, is in the driver's seat, I do my best to keep them safe. I'm focused on them and their safety, not on everybody else on the road. What do you want, Can a medal? I mean, do you have a point? Yes, I do have a point. <laughs> Good. Imagine, imagine that you and your loved ones are passengers in a driverless car. A pedestrian suddenly jumps into its path. The car calculates. It can either harm the pedestrian or harm you. What should it do, Laura? Look, Ken, this situation is rarely going to happen if we program these cars right. These cars are going to be constantly scanning the road for signs of trouble. They're going to have much better sensors than mere human perception, and their reaction times are going to be a lot faster than yeah, humans. Yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. Rarely is not the same as never. So answer my question. Come on. Should an autonomous car sometimes be willing to sacrifice its passenger to save a pedestrian? What's your answer? Uh, my answer is that that really depends on what moral theory you program into it. For example, if you program it to be a utilitarian, then it will decide what to do based on a calculation of the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And if that's the moral theory it's using, then I'm sorry to say, but yes, this is the reality. Sometimes it's going to sacrifice its passenger to save a greater number of people. And I think that's a really good thing, Ken. Still haven't answered my real question and ask again. Would you, Laura McGuire, trust your life to a utilitarian car programmed to treat you as yeah, just one human being among others with no special concern for your individual survival? Would you do it? We, Ken, we do this all the time. Anytime you get into a taxi or a bus or an Uber, no, you're basically no, doing the same thing. No, 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 we don't. I mean, because whatever a human uh, driver does or doesn't feel about you personally, I mean, they can hate you, love you, whatever. They still have that instinct for self-preservation. Now, I'll, I'll put it to you. If you knew up front that the cab driver had no instinct for self-preservation, you'd be a little hesitant to get into that cab, wouldn't you? Come on. Sure, but I'm not suggesting that we program these driverless cars to be suicidal or, you know, to treat their passengers as mere disposable cargo. That's not what I'm saying well, at all, so may, well, well, maybe you're saying we should let people be able to choose the moral theory of their driverless cars. Customize it. Oh, oh like getting uh, that stereo you always wanted, or I always wanted heated seats. You mean well, like yeah, that? Yeah, that's good. You pay a little extra if you want the car to be just a little partial to you. <laughs> <laughs> you pay even more. Maybe, maybe you have to do this on the black market, I admit. You pay it even more if you wanted to drive like a ruthless getaway car for your bank robbery. 
Come on, Ken, the, these cars are going to be regulated. They're, they're not just going to be able to do whatever they want. This is the reality that we're going to have to confront sooner rather than later. And this is coming right around the corner. So this is a really important topic. Yeah, and to help us get ready for the day when this thing comes, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to look at the present state of the art in driverless technology. She files this report. Self-driving cars, will they ever get here? They seem stuck in the receding future. Here's how we imagine them in 1939. Safe distance between cars is maintained by automatic radio control. Curved sides assist the driver in keeping his car within the proper lane under all circumstances. But today, in 2017, we've got the technology. And the technology is really good at following the rules of the road. The only problem? Humans are not. We could have self-driving vehicles, but I think as a society, it's not really appropriate to say that nobody else can use the road except these cars. Wendy Ju is one of the people trying to teach cars how to interact with human society. She heads up the Center for Design Research Lab at Stanford. And they basically have to figure out how exactly we, as drivers, passengers, pedestrians, read each other's minds, and then teach cars how to do the same. And one of the things that we discover as we try to design things for more situations is how many crazy different situations there really are that people are able to manage with, you know, just kind of a raised eyebrow that are pretty amazing and strange and weird and great. The way these cars work is they know their path and what to expect based on 360-degree mapping of every street. Then the computer vision is just there to detect all the extra unpredictable moving stuff. Wendy Ju's lab consults with and is sponsored by a long list of auto manufacturers. Renault, Bosch, Fiat Chrysler, Toyota and Ford, Panasonic. Pretty much every car company has had to start developing this technology because the fear is Apple and Google and the tech companies will put them out of business. And the traditional car makers? For all their knowledge and history and brand, like they could actually stop being the people that you get cars from. This is what happened to Nokia Motorola in the phone space. Smartphones happened, and now Nokia's history. So when might all this start happening? Wendy Ju predicts we'll start to see autonomous vehicles transporting things other than humans pretty soon for package delivery. Then we'll see them in select locations. For example, it would be really easy for people who live in a retirement village to have self-driving golf carts because they move at low speeds, usually are in places with good weather, and are really constrained environments. So she expects to see that in the next five years. As for a total transition to a time when driving your own car is banned? I think it'll be like 40, 50 years before that happens. 50 years is not that long. But in the meantime, while those fully driverless cars are deployed for special uses, Jew predicts we'll see regular consumer passenger cars become more and more automated. Imagine more tricked out cruise control, but always with a human driver who can take over. We are not ready to have self-driving cars where there's not a person to fall back on. I think we're probably five years away from something that everyone would be feel comfortable with. When will actually make it permissible? I don't know. There are a lot of negotiations that'll have to be made. For example, Wendy Ju says one of the first things everyone asks their autonomous car to do is break the law. I feel like it's less that they want to speed and they want to make sure it's their car. Like if the car is driving fast because I asked it to, then you know it's my car. But if the car tells me that that is faster than the speed limit, then it's the state's car or the manufacturer's car. 
There won't be a moment when driverless cars are perfected, determined safe and ready for the road. But right now, 33,000 people are already killed every year from car crashes in this country. That risk didn't stop us from paving the freeways. Dangerous roads have never stopped us from finding out where they lead. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.